Nobody in my family is a Christian. I'm sorry about that. Have you tried talking to them? Yeah, I was going to tell my sister about Jesus one time, and she was downstairs using the computer. So I went down and I was going to tell her about Jesus, but all that came out was, can I use the computer? I have a Bible verse about that. Would you like me to go get it? Yeah, that'd be a great help. Adrian! Did you hear that Kevin just wrecked his brand new Honda? No Oh man, he had it coming! I knew this was gonna happen! He so deserved it. He is a terrible driver. He is awful! I think it's a bunch of when he bought that car. All he did was talk about that car all the time. It was ridiculous. I'm glad. I hear you on that one, uh huh? Well, anyway, I have that Bible verse for you. 2 Timothy 4.2 Preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. Okay. Amen. That's right. We are in the book of what? James. Anybody know what chapter? Woohoo! That's right. Chapter two. And that's right. We are spicing it up here. That's right. Uh, we are going to celebrate this momentous day. This is something that you really need to uh, look back upon and say, remember the day. Remember the day? You know, it's like those uh, instances were like when you, uh, when you got married. Remember? Remember the day? That day, right? Men, just nod your head. You'll score some points, especially on Mother's Day. But anyway, that's right. Uh, uh, remember the, when you had your first child and all that stuff? Wasn't it cool? Those, right? Well, guess what? Remember the day when you hit the James chapter 2 at sunrise? Woo! Well, it's such a cool thing, I think. Uh, anyway, uh, that, uh, what I'd like to do is we're going to uh, celebrate this with... Uh, we don't have Vanna White, but we got Vesta. So Vesta, come on down and celebrate. G- get some theme music going. na 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 Walk across that. Bump it up a key. All right, hey, chapter two. That's right, we made it there. This is exciting stuff. This is awesome. But anyway, chapter two, let's go ahead and let's open there. And let's take it there. For the context, it started with James chapter one, verse one. No, I'm just teasing you. I don't want any more dust to come out of this pulpit. James chapter one. James chapter 1, actually chapter 2, man, this is exciting. Favoritism is forbidden. And that's going to be the big theme, man, this is awesome, okay? Verse 2, believe it or not, we're going to go all the way down to verse uh, 4 in chapter 2. Chapter 2, verse 1, my brothers, as believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, don't show what? Favoritism. Now here he gives an example of how crazy this is. He says, now, suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes. And a poor man in shabby clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, Hey, here's a good seat for you. But to the poor man, you say, "Uh, Stand here, sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? How many guys would say just based on verse 4 there and what he says, That's not a good thing to do. 
evil thoughts? Yeah, that's, that's, that's pretty obvious there. But once again, we're seeing the book of James. It's the big giant acid test for the early church as they finally get out into the world. And God wants a positive commercial, a true advertisement for the gospel and the true gospel and true Jesus. So the church is already being flooded, just like today, with phony baloney believers. That answers a lot of questions. So he puts out the acid test. And the first acid test we've been seeing is trials. What are you doing with your trials? If you sit there and you go through hard times like everybody else, but you're saying you're a Christian, but you walk away from Jesus and say, I'm an atheist now, the Bible says you failed the test. You weren't saved in the first place, okay? The second thing that we saw was temptation. How do you handle temptation? In other words, the issue of sin. You do not blame sin, okay? Uh, is the whole theme that's there. And you certainly don't blame God for it, okay? True Christians who pass the test, you own up to your sin, right? When we sin as born-again Christians today, what do we do? Hold on to it? Blame other... No! What's the Holy Spirit do? He convicts you, you own up to it, right? And you're done with it, right? You don't blame God, you don't certainly blame other people. And when you do that, own up to your sin, it's a positive advertisement for salvation, which is what you got to do to get saved, and a positive advertisement for the world to come. Okay, then we saw, not only that was the third one, how do you handle God's word? Okay, and that's what we've been on for quite some time as we finished up chapter one, God's word. And we saw that the acid test for a true Christian is you're a good listener of God's word. You're a good sponge of God's word. You're a good follower of God's word. You're a good channel of God's word. And the last couple of times, you're a good reflection of God's word, a good reflection of God's word. And God's law becomes the mirror Okay, that shows you what's going on. We saw that true Christians, that something is abnormal if you do this. If you see a, if you will, sinful booger on your face, if you got maggots coming out of your mouth, so to speak, and you walk away from that reflection going, oh, no big deal, and you leave it there and do nothing about it, he says, hey man, your religion is worthless. You're, I'm sorry, that ain't, that's not normal. Okay, true Christians acknowledge it, scrape it off, do whatever you do, wash it off, Windex, do something. Uh, it might be harsh to your skin. Watch out, Bobby. Uh, but anyway, get it off, okay? And it says, then you will be blessed, okay? When you look at the reflection. Then last time we saw, you also flip it on the positive side. Here's a positive reflection you're going to have. Number one, you're going to have a warm heart towards the needy, okay? Towards the needy is what we saw there. A warm heart towards the widows and orphans. And we saw there, this person doesn't just say, oh, that's just too bad. This person in the Greek gets involved. Make sure those people are taken care of. Okay, the second one we saw is it's a pure heart towards the world. Okay, we're in the world, we're just not of it. And the last thing that a true born again Christian would be just smearing scubalon all over you, acting like that's no big deal. Okay, as we saw there, scubalon was pile of dog stuff, is literally what that word means. Okay, everything else is a pile of dog stuff comparing to knowing Jesus Christ. So why would the world be smear that all over us, be worldly, because that's what we're doing when we're being worldly. He says, you acting like you hate God and you're his enemy. That's not a good commercial. So, so if, if you met somebody, hey, would you like to meet for lunch? I want to tell you about Jesus. And you showed up to that person and you had smeared dog stuff all over you. How well do you think that would go? Would that be a great witness? They say, oh, wow, I've got to accept Jesus. No, <laughs> that's what he says. We don't think of worldliness that way. Because I would say worldliness is so infected the church. In fact, we're trained from we high to do that, aren't we? To live like that. From we high, even from school, all, what do you, what's the whole mandate of life? Live for Jesus, tell others about him, get equipped to serve him? No. It's to get educated, to get a job, to get a bunch of money, to impress people you don't know who in the end don't even care. That's scoob on. In action. That's even in the church, okay? We don't do that, okay? Now we come to the fourth acid test, and that is not only do you, how do you handle trials, how do you handle temptation, how do you handle God's word? Now it is, how do you handle other people? 
That's an indicator of your spiritual reality. And that's what he says there in verse 1, chapter 2. My brothers, as believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, don't show favoritism. Listen to what the Greek says. He says, my brethren, stop. Okay, don't just don't do it like, well, something you should really consider down the road. He literally says, stop. Okay, stop holding, listen, holding your faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, in connection with an act of showing partiality to anyone. In other words, what he's saying there is, listen, if you sit there and say you're a Christian on the one hand, of the glorious Lord Jesus Christ, and you're showing favoritism, there's a disconnect. Something isn't right. Don't do that. It's either Jesus and his way or nothing. You can't sit there. I'm, you know, uh, you know the, the old uh, Indian term, I think, for that was mugwump. You know, trying to live both sides at the same time. We would say straddling both sides of the fence. He said, don't do that. If you're going to sit there and say you're a Christian, you can't show favoritism at the same time. Okay? And, and so that's what uh, it says there. The word there, favoritism, is pros, prospolepsia. And it means giving respect of persons or showing partiality. Okay? In fact, it's the same word that's used elsewhere in the scripture of God. And God not only doesn't do it, but here's the point, And I think this is why James is bringing it up. As the father, so the son, okay, we're his children, right? He wants us to reflect him that God doesn't show favoritism, neither should we, right? You're going to say you're a child of God, act like it, okay? And this is what we see. I'll just give you a couple examples. Romans 2.11 says, for God does not show favoritism, okay? Ephesians 6.9, and masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them. In other words, if you want to put it in a loose modern vernacular christian employer don't treat uh, treat your christian employee okay in the same way don't threaten them since you know that he is both jesus god is both uh, their master and yours you're serving jesus both so just because you own the business doesn't mean you treat this guy rotten certainly not a brother in christ he says because there is no favoritism in, in him you don't get a, a better deal because you're a successful christian who owns a business versus a guy who's working for you don't do that. And Colossians 3.25, anyone who does wrong will be repaid for his wrong. And there is no favoritism. In other words, it doesn't matter where you come from. You reap what you sow. If you got a lot of cash, you reap what you sow. If you have no cash, you reap what you sow. There's no favorites. God he treats everybody the same in that aspect. One guy says this. This is kind of cool. This, and see, here's the issue. This favoritism, okay, no favoritism, itism, is actually an attribute of God. And he makes this point. It's really kind of cool. He says this. When we think of attributes of God, we think of his holiness, right? We think of justice. We think of God's wisdom. We think of his omnipotence, his omniscience or omnipresence. We think of his immutability. That is, he doesn't change. Uh, We think of his eternality. We talk about his sovereignty. We might list his love, his grace, his mercy, his faithfulness, his goodness. And you can probably think about a whole bunch more. But he says there's another attribute of God that we don't very often talk about, but is very often talked about in the scripture. And that is that God is impartial. Okay? That is that God is absolutely and totally impartial in dealing with people. And in that way, he is utterly unlike us. We are very partial. We show favoritism. We tend to put everyone in some kind of stratified category, some higher or lower than other people. It has to do with their looks. It's got to do with their wardrobe. It has to do with what kind of car they drive, what house they live in. Sometimes it has to do with their race. Maybe it's their social status. Sometimes outward characteristics of personality. All of those things with God are non-issues. 
They are of no significance at all. They mean absolutely nothing to him. A person's education, their economic status, their looks, their wardrobe, their social relationships, their job, their fame, their prestige, their honor, all these collectively and individually mean absolutely nothing to God. They're not issues with him. Isn't that wild? I've done that before. You think of God's attributes, you start listing the big ones. He's all-powerful, all-knowing, everywhere present. He's holy, he's just, he's righteous. Oh, by the way, God's, he doesn't play favorites. Isn't that wild? And frankly, that's good news. Okay? And this is what James says. He says there, verse 1, he says, My brothers, as believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, don't show favoritism. In other words, if you're going to say you're a Christian on the one hand, you're a follower of God, then act like it. Act like God. Don't show favorites either. That's the whole point. Okay? And so the question is, well, why? Why is this such a big deal? Of all attributes, because he's picking out an attribute of God and saying as an acid test, it's an acid test, why should you not show favoritism? Okay? It's not just emulating God's character, but if you think about it, it, it's undermining two things. Listen to this. Favoritism is counterproductive to the purposes of salvation, okay? And it's counterproductive to the purpose of the church when you take a look at it, okay? Let's take a look at a couple of verses. When Jesus died on the newly illuminated cross, okay? <laughs> not that one, okay? He died so that who can be saved? Just a certain select group of people with God's favorites? everybody so the act of salvation is what no favorites come one come all right john three sixteen. for god so loved the world not just his favorite part of the world you know like hawaii or the bahamas <laughs> right no the whole world okay that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life Second Peter 3, 9, for God is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but he's patient towards you. Why is he waiting? Why is he not? He's not condoning the evil, the suffering, the wickedness, and the bloating that's going on today. He's appointed a day, bang, when judgment will come. No dust, Joey, did you see that? When judgment will come. <laughs> Planned that all week, just now. Uh, when judgment will come, okay, why is he waiting? Because he doesn't play favorites. He says there, because he's not willing that any should perish, but for all to come to repentance right that's his favoritism in action which translates into patience he's given you time anybody to respond to the gospel and be saved now when you play favorites what does that do that undermines salvation the very thing we hinge our eternality on so why would we do that god didn't do that to us anybody glad right so what in the world are we doing that as a christian how in the world could you say i'm a lord of glory jesus i follow him and then you show favorites. That's, that's counterproductive to salvation. It's also counterproductive to the church. When Jesus died, okay, he died so that all of us, Christian, could become one. Okay, one. Galatians 3, 26 through 28. So you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female. Why? For you are all Christians. You are one in Christ Jesus. Right? So when we act like there's a difference between slave or free or male or female or Jew or Gentile, I would say in the context here that James is going to bring out, rich or poor, how's that one? It's not. The very reason why he saved anyone and all, no favorites, is so that when we come together, we're all demonstrating that in our oneness. And when you play favorites, it destroys it. Ephesians 4, chapter 1 through 6. 
Paul says this, and I'll skip down. He says, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. We got one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Favoritism ruins all that. God's purpose in salvation was that anyone can get saved. All. And that's why he's waiting for you to repent. That's why he's patient with you. All right? And two, his purpose of his church is we are to reflect this awesome attribute. That we, he didn't exclude us. He wasn't playing favorites with somebody and oops, just too bad. You didn't happen to fall in that category. Right? I didn't like your race. Or I didn't like your size. Or I didn't, he, no. And that when people see us in action, they see a whole bunch of different people. One big old family reflecting no favorites with God, no favorites with each other. Don't you want to join the family? When you show favoritism, it destroys that. Okay? Favoritism is disunity in action. Favoritism divides a church, not unites a church. And it's counterproductive to the purpose of the church and salvation, okay? In fact, this is why if you read throughout the scripture, I'm just going to give you an example here. You read throughout the scripture over and over again, Paul is constantly dealing with certain things that are going on in the churches. And they're called... Divisions. Now, okay, yeah, we know that that's something you probably shouldn't do as a Christian. But why is he so adamant? Is what are you guys doing? Well, I think Paul probably knows more than we. Don't you understand? That's, the, that's our whole identity is to be one. What in the world are you guys doing being plain favorites and splitting the church up? Right? And he, he goes after it. He says there, 1 Corinthians 3, 1, 3, and 4. He says, dear brothers and sisters, when I was with you, listen to this. I couldn't talk to you as I would mature Christians. Can I translate that for you? That's Paul's way of saying, would you stop acting like a bunch of little babies? Right? He says this, I had to talk to you as though you belong to this world. Now, what's he mean by that? You were acting just like the world. What's the world do? Does the world play favorites? Does the world split people up into categories? Does the world judge people by their race, their size, their color, what? He says, listen, you're acting like a bunch of babies. In fact, you look like the world, but you're the church. And he says this, he says, you are acting like people who don't belong to the Lord. Oops, now we're back to what James is talking about. You're acting like, uh, excuse me, red flag, red flag. As we talked before, how far can you push these envelopes, trials, temptation, God's words, and now how you treat other people? How far can you push it and still be a Christian? I don't know. Could be a backsliding Christian, which isn't good. It's a spiritual ditch is where you're at. Or maybe it's a sign, that's the reason why you can't seem to stop. It's because you're not really saved. And this is what Paul says. He says, you're acting like people don't know the Lord. When one of you says, I'm a follower of Paul. Another one says, I prefer Apollos. Or, he says, are you not acting like those who are not Christians? The world does that stuff, okay? James says, haven't you become judges with evil thoughts? He word there is evil. This is crazy. What are you doing this? Paul had to deal with the church over and over again because the church was being, listen, selective with the people that they were going to hang out with. And it's a good thing we don't see that in the church today. What do we call them? Christian cliques, don't we? Everywhere. I shared with you the one story of the girl who went into a church service. True story, by the way. And she wrote that uh, letter. I won't read the whole thing again. Uh, to her Christian friend who invited her to church services. And when she went there, uh, everybody was bored and restless. Uh, nobody was paying attention to the pastor's sermon. She enjoyed it because it was answering a question she had been wondering about. 
Uh, and then uh, after the uh, people were getting up during, it was just a cacophony of stuff during the sermon stuff. It was just it was chaos, right? And then after the service, she goes in there and she wants to talk to somebody about, hey, that was spiritually impacting me. And then you had this group over here, the, the Christian so-called teenagers, and they were talking about the latest worldly secular rock group. And you had these people over here and then a bunch of people, nobody would pay any attention to her. It's like, What? And she says, I was hoping to, I came here hoping to find, my family doesn't go to church services. I was hoping to come here and worship God, but I didn't see it here and I won't be back. True story. Favoritism, Christian cliques, whatever you want to call them. We even have terms for it, but we still do it. And he's saying there, what in the world are you doing? This is counterproductive to salvation. This is counterproductive to who we are, okay? He says, you are acting like people who are not Christians. We are to demonstrate to the world by how we treat each other with no favorites that guess what? There really is no favorites with God. You, yes, you can be saved. And they should get that from us and how we treat each other. And I'll just share with you, this one happened recently. I was telling Jordan about it and Brandy at home. But um, believe it or not, uh, Joey, I had to get my hair cut. And as you can tell, please don't envy. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I know, I laugh now. But anyway, so uh, I got my hair cut and uh, I'm just going to like super cut, super chop, chop it up, chop, chop ahoy or whatever, you know, those quick ones. And <laughs> anyway, so I go in there, you can almost get somebody different every single time, right? So I sure enough got a new, new one and uh, we get to talk and they always ask the proverbial question. And so what is it that you do? Ah, I'm so glad you asked. Right, uh, and so I'm a pastor of a church. Oh, really? And then usually they do that, you know, or they just get silent. So, how about the weather? So, do you like hockey? You know, something, anything but that, right? You know, so, and uh, so, but so I, I saw she was silent after that. It's like, oh no, I'm not that guy. Actually, a chainsaw. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, that explains the hairdo, doesn't it? I thought it was a good conversation, but I didn't think about that. She got back at me, no. But uh, anyway, so she's there. She uh, 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 didn't say anything. And so I, I, I had to push it a little bit. I said, so do you go to church services anywhere? She goes, no, I used to. Listen to this. This, this is wild. She goes, no, I used to. She says, in fact, my mom's very religious, okay, my family, but I don't go anymore. And I was, she raised that way. And I said, oh, really, why not? And I, at, uh, uh, at first, I, I was joking a little bit because I wanted to see if she could go. And I said, oh, so, you, so you're trying to quit, right? And she laughed, thought that was funny. So that, she opened up a little bit. She says, no, she says, well, she says, yeah, that's kind of funny. And she said, but really what it was, she says, I, you know, she grew up in the church, but not anymore. She says, um, because every time that I would go to the church, the devil was there. And she says, so now I just stay home because he's not welcome there. All these things that we do, how we treat each other, is a gut wrencher. So praise God. You know, guess what? I just happen to say, well, you know what? I let her cut my hair. <laughs> Finish the job. <laughs> and afterwards, I said, you know what? We talked about other stuff too. But I came back to it as we were wrapping things up. I said, you know what? I fully agree with you. I says, what you grew up with was absolutely wrong. I didn't offend it. It's horrible. I said, it just so happens I'm preaching on a study right now talking about how it's supposed to be a relationship with God. And believe it or not, we just happen to be making a movie dealing with this very aspect. I'd love to send you some videos. Could I? She actually said yes. So I got home, emailed Reed, Reed sent the package off, and we'll see what happens, okay? But here's my point. Listen to her comment. Her impression of the church growing up 
because of all this behavior of how we treat each other, is the devil is welcome in the church. He's not welcome at my house, so I'm just going to stay there. This is what James is saying. Are you, what? What are you doing this? This is completely counterproductive to salvation. It's completely counterproductive to how the church is supposed to be. Let me give you another example. And this is unfortunately also a true story. The story is told of two congregations that were located only a few blocks from each other in a small community. And they thought it might be better if they would merge and become one united, larger, and more effective body than two struggling churches. Great idea. But were they able to pull it off? No, they had a problem. I'm not making this up. Listen to this. Here's the problem. They could not agree on how they would recite the Lord's Prayer. One group preferred, forgive us our trespasses, while the other group demanded, forgive us our debts. So as the local newspaper reported, quote, one church went back to its trespasses while the other returned to its debts. <laughs> In the paper, right? And we laugh at it because it's so stinking true and it is kind of funny, but then again, you look at it spiritually, it's like even the world knows better that the church shouldn't act like that and they're mocking us. And that's what James said. Wow, this doesn't compute. On the one hand, you say you're a Christian and you love Jesus Christ and his glory, salvation. On the other hand, what are you doing showing favoritism? It's completely counterproductive to the very thing that you are staking your eternal destiny on and it's ruining the advertisement when people come into the church. Even the world knows better, okay? James says you have become judges with evil thoughts. John says this, 1 John 3, this is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Remember that lady's haircut? Remember her words? You know, the devil's there, but he's not welcome to my house. Okay, he says this, anyone who does not do what is right is not a child of God, nor does anyone who does not love his brother. In other words, what John is saying, I believe akin to what James is saying, listen, you want to prove that you really appreciate and are a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ and his glory salvation? Then guess what? You need to love your brother. Don't show favoritism. He says it right there. He says, you do not belong to God. You're a child of the devil. You need to love each other, no matter who you are, what size, what shape, what pedigree, what background, whatever. All right? So then when people come in, it's like, wow, man, really? Maybe, maybe, maybe I could get saved is what it's supposed to be. That's what God wants us to do. One guy says this. He says, we don't like to admit it, but in the church of Jesus Christ, we tend to be very partial to certain people. We're impressed with their bank account. We're impressed with what car they drive what their wardrobe is, their jewelry. We can be very impressed with the job they hold, what profession they're in. We're impressed by their reputation. We can be very impressed if they have a lot of degrees at the end of their name. God is not impressed with any of that. It is utterly of no consequence to him whosoever in the matter of evaluating the worth of a soul. It is inconsequential. God judges and evaluates and God estimates your worth, my worth, the worth of everyone purely on the basis of the inner person. Or as Samuel says, 1 Samuel 16, 17, or 16, 7, man looks at the outward, but the Lord looks at the heart. Okay? And then, so to so, so drill that home, that's why I think it's such a big issue. That's why James is bringing, of all things, as the next asset says, favoritism. Don't show favoritism. Okay? He goes into, uh, now, an illustration of how absolutely egregious and horrible this is. And he breaks it down. The first one, he says, whatever you do, are you kidding me? Don't you dare show favoritism, and he calls it out, okay, to the rich guy. 
the rich guys what he says there. Verse 2. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes. And here's your dichotomy. You got also a poor man in shabby clothes and he also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you. Now here's what's wild when you get into the Greek. This is cool. I don't know why they have this in the singular. It's actually in the plural. The phrase there, the words there, gold ring. Okay, it's actually crucidactulios and it literally means a gold fingered. It's a plural term, gold fingered man. He doesn't have one. Okay, his hands are loaded with gold rings. Is literally what it says in the Greek word. This is literally the bling master. This guy's got it going, right? He's walking in. I'm not kidding you. That's what it is in the Greek. He's got him all over his hand. Now, this means the person obviously has a lot of dough or, I thought this was funny, he's given the appearance of it. Because back in the day, they used to allow you to rent gold rings to put on a show. Listen to this. Very few poor people could afford a gold ring. Obviously. The most ostentatious of people in the ancient world would wear rings on every finger, even the thumb, except for the middle finger. When they really wanted to put on a display, they actually had, back in the day, a ring rental business where they would go and they would rent rings and this is how you showed off your economic status. Right? Just like today. Just like Vegas, you go down there, what? You can rent a Lamborghini or a Ferrari and be the guy, whatever, for the day. Ooh, right? Put on a show. It's all about a show, right? This actually was the same thing back in the day. Okay, in fact, early church history, Clement of Alexander, he said this, quote, Christians should only wear one ring, and on that ring, it should have a dove, a fish, or an anchor to be used as a seal. And he wrote that as a reaction to this abuse. That it was all about the show. It was all about looking cool, looking important. I remember back in the day, remember when cell phones first came out? Remember you used to have to haul them around in a wheelbarrow that were so big? Remember back in the day? And uh, I remember they were still extremely expensive, right? But, uh, and large, okay? But for those of you who didn't have the money, but you wanted to have the prestige of having a cell phone driving down the road on a cell phone. Remember they, they sold those things called car phonies or cell phonies? Remember those? It was, an, it was a, the brick kind, whatever, but it was totally fake. It was made of plastic. And it, people actually sold them by the truckloads, okay, because people just wanted to drive around in traffic before the law is obviously forbidden and uh, looking like they're cool. Oh, he's got a cell phone, right? Remember that? This is the same thing. He's like, what are you guys doing? Why do you, why do you come into the church? It's just a, a big display, a big show, okay? Don't, do that. And that's why we saw before at 1 Timothy 2, Paul says the same thing to ladies. Okay? Not just guys with the, the, the bling, right? With the rings. It's the ladies. He says this, 1 Timothy 2, 8 through 10. He says, I want women to adorn themselves. We saw that's cosmeto in the Greek, cosmetics. Worried all about just the outside. He says, I want you, here's your cosmetics. Um, not just worrying about your clothing, uh, but to be modest and discreet, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly garments, but rather by means of good works, as is proper for women who are making a claim to godliness, okay? So ladies, men, whatever, the principle is Mr. Goldfinger shows up, okay? What are you doing? Falling for it. Excuse me? Goes even further. This is kind of cool. And he, don't, he not only has the bling going on with his ringers. See, this guy's got, he's got one of those... Uh, Fancy zoot suits going on. 
No, this is cool. This is what's in there. The Greek word there for uh, fine clothes, listen to this. It's actually the word lampros. Can anybody guess what an English word we get out of that? Lamp. Okay, and the word, listen, his fine clothes are lampros. They're shining. They're brilliant. Right? This guy has not only gold all over his fingers, except for the middle ones, okay, but he also has these loud, luxurious, eye-popping colors. You cannot miss this guy when he comes in, right? It's like the suits I wear every week, right? Or Joey, something. You guys are just in my stereo line of sight there. Whatever you are, some guy, guy, hello guy. Let me see your fingers. Okay, you're good, you're, you're humble. Anyway, that's right. Uh, but anyway, so this guy, he's got it going, right? He's just got, he's got this, this I don't want to quite call it names because sometimes, you know, maybe suits I wouldn't wear. But man, there's some, some pretty snazzy ones. I mean, when this guy walks in, the light hits it. It's just like, whoa, I didn't like all silver with speckles on it or whatever. Or, uh, I don't know, a sequin or uh, hopefully a guy doesn't wear sequin suits. But uh, anyway, so, but uh, he's just loud, loud colors. He's got rings all his fingers. He's loud. That's what he, this guy's got on. Now, listen to this. James says, if you show, listen. The whole thing for this guy wearing all the bling, the zoot suit, shining bright colors. Like, whoa, where'd you get that color red? Right? And, and he shows up. The whole thing's designed to get what? Attention. Now, what's the next thing that James says? He says, if you show favoritism or special attention to this guy. In other words, if you fall for this, something's wrong. You're sinning. You're going down the wrong road. The phrase there, special attention, is epiblepo, and it means to turn the eyes upon, to gaze upon, to look upon, to have regard for. In other words, James says, excuse me, don't show favoritism. Okay? Don't do what the world does. Don't fall for what the world does. They do this in the world. If some guy pulls up at the sunrise, okay, he gets out of a Lamborghini, he comes up here, he's got the bling, he's got the suit, what in the world of all of a sudden you changed your behavior and say, like, oh, hey, how you doing? Hey, hey, you want to sit here? So what? Why is he any different than the guy who's showing up in these normal duds? Right? What are you doing? You're getting sucked into this, okay, is what he's talking about. It is not a unified body of Christ. You're not treating each other by same, uh, the same. And James says, listen, there's no longer, or, uh, Paul says, there's no longer Jew or Gentile, slave nor free. And I would say, James would add to that, there's no longer rich or poor. We're supposed to be one in Christ. Now, this is kind of a little policy that I have. I try my absolute best to distance myself the absolute most from finances in the church, Right? Number one, I don't want to uh, um, you hear horror stories of, of that happening or people want to accuse you of doing something, so I try my best to stay away. Now, I get the monthly reports or annual reports like everybody else does, okay? But I'm not in there counting. I don't want to count. I refuse to count. I don't want to know who gives what, who, where, what. I don't want to do that, right? I've seen other instances in past in ministry where, guess what? You're tempted to what? Show favoritism to somebody because what? Because they're a bigger giver than somebody else. I don't want to even go there. Okay, is, is my policy. In fact, I, uh, sometimes what I've had with people, even though I never saw the check or whatever, uh, per se, but I've had people try to buy me off. Did I tell you guys, the turkey guy? Did, anybody, did I tell you guys the turkey story? I told the interns, did I tell you guys? Oh, this is wild. I kid you not, man. This is my first senior pastor in California. And this guy didn't like what I was preaching on. Go figure, right? And I was preaching on, uh, believe it or not, evolution, the live evolution. I think that's a good thing to equip the church with, right? We're doing it here at Sunrise, right? And uh, so all of a sudden, it was the weekend of uh, like uh, Thanksgiving coming up. And uh, all of a sudden, uh, it shows up at my door. 
And uh, he says, hey, he gives me the big old massive turkey, right? Answered there, answered the door. And he gives big old turkey and he says, oh, hey, Pastor, I just want to give this, this uh, turkey for you and your family and hope you have a great Thanksgiving, whatever. And, and I'm going, yeah, all right, oh, thanks, man. This is cool, right? And so uh, he was leaving. And I thought, well, that was really nice. That's really awesome, man. Praise God. And uh, Brandy doesn't have to go buy a turkey and stuff. And so as he's getting ready, he's leaving, he turns around and he goes, hope to have a good sermon on Sunday, you know, the next day. And I'm going, okay. So I close the door. And first of all, I'm going, dude, give me a break. I don't prepare my sermons Saturday night. Okay, I don't do them the day before. I'm working on them the whole week, right? And so I'm not going to change it even if I wanted to. I don't do that, right? It's crazy. And then I'm walking into the kitchen with Brandy. I'm still kind of stunned and going, did he just try to buy me off? And he gets to Brandy and says, Brandy, you won't believe it. And she goes, oh, turkey. I says, yeah, somebody tried to get me to uh, buy me off with a turkey. And then we were laughing, joking about it. I says, man, you'd think I'd be at least worth the price of a Camaro or something. I guess I'm only worth a turkey. You know, I'm just kind of double negative. <laughs> what? Right? But that stuff goes on, unfortunately, uh, in the church, okay? Try to control. I'll tell you another guy. Uh, this was a guy that uh, I watched how the, the church just cowed to this guy with all kinds of stuff. And I'm getting a, a familiar with the situation. It's like, are you kidding me? I mean, if this guy said anything, <laughs> whined about anything, the church was, oh, I went right after the guy. Oh, yes, yes, oh, oh. Right? I learned, you know, I didn't, I didn't see the money or whatever. I got him starting to go, he's probably a big giver. And people know that. And they're giving him favoritism. Right? I mean, this is, if it was too cold, there's a, turn it up. Right? And everybody's sweating to death, but this guy's heavy. You got to cut some tailors of that guy. Or if it's too cold or whatever, it's just all this stuff. And then later, as I got to know this person, I'm going, I was only shocked by that behavior by others in the church, giving the guy obvious favoritism. Uh, but then I learned with talking and speaking with this guy, this guy was pro-abortion and it's had some wild, I'm going, whoa, you got to be kidding me. And, 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 your wishes are being placated? Keep your stinking money. We don't need it. Right? This is what James is saying. Okay? You got this guy showing with a bling. Don't all of a sudden change your priorities. Not saying be rude, but just as you wouldn't be rude to anybody else. But don't all of a sudden start... Because it seems churches are always struggling for money, aren't they? And that's the temptation. No? Everybody gets treated the same. Right? That's what James is saying. Playing favorites will kill a church. They will destroy a church. Now, James flips it around and he gives you uh, the partiality of the poor guy. Okay? He addresses this. He says, but if you say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet, have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Now, this guy's the complete polar opposite of Mr. Bling Master, right? In the zoot suit. Okay? The poor there is patakos in the Greek. Okay? And this guy means, it literally means reduced to beggary. He is absolutely destitute of wealth. This guy literally is the complete opposite. He is a beggar. A beggar came into your church service now. So you got Mr. Blingmaster and you got the beggar guy coming into your church service. This guy is so poor, he cannot even get the ad cheese at the McDonald's drive-thru. You know what I'm saying? We used to use that as a comparison when we first got married trying to get out of debt. We were so stinking excited that first time we actually got to go to Taco Bell. And just get the cheap taco. <laughs> it's like, man. And then we knew we were living off the hog, man, when we can only go to McDonald's. Yeah, you add cheese. <laughs> We've been there, man. So anyway, so this guy, he's got nothing. He can't get anything, okay? And his clothes, listen, typically in the day, this clothes, James is bringing out a beautiful dichotomy to expose how sinful and horrible this behavior is. 
This guy, typically a beggar, a poor person, only had one robe, right? One robe. And that one robe, listen, was dirty, stinky, and shabby. And the reason why is because this is it. This is his one outfit he has, period, all the time, which means he works in it, he sleeps in it, he sweats in it, and so he's probably coming with some dirty, shabby-looking clothing, and he probably stinks, right? Now, it shouldn't be too... obtuse uh, of, of, of a reality in the church because if, I don't have time to go into it, but if you look at the early church, most of the early church was made up of poor people slash common folks, not bling folks, right? And uh, in fact, that was some of the charge against the, uh, the Pharisees there uh, this, and, the, and the Sadducees, the ruling Jewish elite. If, aren't you guys unschooled folks? What do you guys do? We're, you guys are hicks from the South, in other words. Who are you guys? You didn't go to seminary like us. You, you're poor, common folk. Right? And they're taking them on. That was part of the charge. There were some wealthy people. You look at the birth of the church, and you see that they sold their land when Pentecost happened and stuff of that nature, and they helped take care of the needs of the church. And then they had the birth of the deacon ministry to take care of the widows and stuff to distribute. So some people had cash. But the point is, it shouldn't be a surprise that you got people showing up to church services like that. Most of the church was made up with poor, common people. Sprinkled with a few rich. And so James brings about this sinful dichotomy. And he says, here's what you do. So here's your reality. Shouldn't be a big deal. The guy who shows up at the Lamborghini and the zoot suit and the bling, he gets treated just like the guy who's only got that one outfit and that's all he wears every single Sunday. And frankly, he probably could use a shower. You get treated the same. He says, but that's not what you're doing. Here's what you're doing. You say to the rich guy, here's a good seat for you. But you say to the poor guy, you stand there, sit at the floor by my feet. Now, the good seat there uh, is kalas. It means beautifully, fine, honorable, comfortable. This would have been, if you recall in the Gospels, the chief seats that the Pharisees were always wanting to sit at, right? We don't do it here, and I'm not making necessarily fun of other denominations that do it. I've never been comfortable with it, me personally. But in some church services you go to, you have the seats on the stage that the other guys sit there. They get the chief seat. Because they're the spiritual, whatever. And whatever, if someone wants to do that, that's what, that's between you and God. I don't know your heart. I don't like it, right? I just, it's like, excuse me, sit like the rest of the folks, right? But whatever, I don't want to, anyway, that's just me. But anyway, so that's what they got. So literally, so here's your reaction to this guy, the zoot suit bling master, right? Oh, you take this chair here. It's like the one that Rebecca and I were looking for Brandy's Mother Day present. We're in that bed, bath, and beyond. Every guy's nightmare. He's, oh. it's like, man, don't take a picture of me in here. Give me the fries or something, but anyway, but anyway, so anyway, so she sat in the seat and had this all all heat rub thing, whatever. Say, man, this will break your back. This is really people buy this stuff. But anyway, so it was supposed to be a cool seat or whatever. But anyway, so that's this guy. He gets the best seat, man. He's got the heat rub action going on. It's fluffy. It's cool, right? So that's your reaction to this guy. The other guy, the poor guy, gets stand there, sit on the floor by my feet. Literally, it's sit, not on. You sit by my footstool. Okay, so here's the idea. This guy, if you could imagine a church service, this guy comes in with the shabby clothes. You're sitting there in your pew. Believe it or not, the church has given you an ottoman, a footstool. And don't even go there. I know we're doing a renovation, but we're not going to get those. Although, to save space, if you, Joey, if you could build this apparatus that it swings out from underneath for each one. You know exactly what I'm talking about, see? That's right. You're going to start a division, but we won't do that. We're supposed to be one. 
you know, but anyway, so, anyway, so, but so you've got, you've got not only your comfortable pew, you actually got this footstool, this ottoman in front of you. And listen, you not only will not share the pew with this poor guy, you won't even give him the stool to sit on. And your action is this, sit beside my footstool. In other words, would you just get out of here? Get away from me. Do you see the sinful dichotomy? Do you see why he says evil thoughts? How could you even think like this, let alone actually do this? Bling master gets the ultimate chair. Poor guy, get out of here. You're treating him like a dog. Absolutely horrible. And he says there, verse 4, Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? You know what this is? It is spiritual discrimination. And isn't that the word today, being politically correct? Oh, you can't discriminate. You can't discriminate. Get this. You can't do this. Whatever. Discriminate. 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 You know, in the church, you shouldn't. Right? Rich, poor, free, slave, male, female. What in the world are you doing? Right? Now, I'm not talking when it comes to sin. Sin's another issue. The Bible talks about not condoning sin. You need to discipline sin. I'm just talking about their person as a Christian. Right? In the category, that's spiritual discrimination, okay? Uh, discrimination in the Greek there, in the, in the expanded diacrino, means to separate, to make a distinction, to prefer, okay? It's an absolutely horrible witness to the church. When somebody comes into the church as a Christian, it should matter what they look like. It doesn't matter what they do for a living. It doesn't matter what they're wearing, where they come from, none of that stuff. And the sooner the church gets that, the better. It's all wrapped around this story, which, believe it or not, was part of the thrust for the reunion movie we're working on. And believe it or not, I'll let a little cat out of the bag, just a small one. You like that? It's also based on what I experienced as a pastor at a church. And I saw poor people of a different race treated horribly. And you wonder why revival never comes. It's wrapped around this story. I don't share. Uh, one Sunday, a college student named Mike decided to go to church services across the street from his dorm. So being a college student and all, he showed up in his regular t- uh, attire, which included torn jeans, a t-shirt, and some pretty wild-looking hair, and he didn't have any shoes. And when he got there, uh, not only had the service already started, but the sanctuary was completely packed, and he couldn't even find a seat. But he didn't want to give up, so he just started down the aisle, getting closer and closer to the pulpit. Well, by now, all eyes were on him, and the congregation was getting very uncomfortable with his presence, And since Mike still couldn't find a seat, he just squatted down on the carpet right in front of the pulpit. Well, by now, people are in the church are getting really uptight, and the tension in the air was thick. And it was about this time that a deacon sitting way in the back of the sanctuary got up out of his pew, and he starts heading uh, towards the boy. He was a very dignified man in his 80s, and he wore this elegant three-piece suit. And as he was approaching the boy, the congregation was muttering to themselves, can't blame him for what he's going to do. I mean, how can you expect a man of his age and stature to let some college kid sit on the floor? And as the deacon finally made it to where Mike was sitting, the whole congregation was completely silent. You could have heard a pin drop. But then suddenly, with great difficulty because of his age, the deacon lowered himself and sat right down next to Mike so he wouldn't have to worship God alone. And here comes the tagline that we have for the movie. And the minister gets up to the pulpit and simply said this, what I'm about to preach, you will never remember, but what you have just seen, you will never forget. That's how the church is supposed to be. 
as we are a witness out into the world, if they do come amongst our meeting, they see us treating each other like that, no favoritisms like God, I think revival would bust out. How about you? That's why James says, don't show favoritism. It will destroy the church and it undermines salvation. God wants everyone to be saved. Amen? Let's pray. Well, hi, this is Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and Get a Life Ministries. And I hope you enjoyed today's study. But in closing, before you go, let me ask you one final question. If you were to die today, are you sure that you go to heaven and not hell? You see, here's the problem. The Bible says that nobody automatically gets to go to heaven. And that's because God is holy and we are not. The Bible says that the wages of our sin or our unholiness or the wrong things that we have done have separated us from God. And the wages of our sin or unholiness uh, means that we deserve to die and receive God's judgment to go to hell and not heaven. In other words, we're disqualified for heaven. And that's because God being holy and us being not, the two cannot mix. So what are we going to do? Well, that's bad enough. The other problem is we don't even want to admit this dilemma, even though God already knows it all. And so out of love, God gave us something called the Ten Commandments to show us that we're really disqualified for heaven. We're not holy. We're not perfect like him. Uh, Let's take a a look at just a few of those uh, here today. Uh, The Bible says, the Ten Commandments says, you shall not bear false witness. That means lying. How many of you ever told a lie before? Well, those of you who didn't raise your hand, you just did. Okay, let's be honest, folks. Let's not tell another lie. We've all lied. Well, believe it or not, that disqualifies you for heaven. That's how holy God is. He is the truth. He does not lie. And so that makes us a liar. Another of the Ten Commandments says you shall not steal. Okay, how many have ever taken anything without permission? Well, all of our hands should have went up at that one. Uh, We've already said we're a bunch of liars. Okay, well, we've all done that. And it doesn't have to be a bank. Uh, It could be a pencil in the third grade. Uh, That means that we're a thief. Okay, the Bible says that God is so holy, even his name is holy. And that's why one of the Ten Commandments says you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. Hey, folks, isn't it ironic how uh, now the blessed name of Jesus Christ, the Bible says there's no other name under heaven by which men might be saved. Jesus Christ has now become a cuss word. Folks, the Bible says that's the sin of blasphemy, okay? And folks, let's be honest. We've used God's name in vain uh, before. The Bible also says in the Ten Commandments, you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus takes the standard even higher. He says, listen, it's not just physical adultery. He says, surely I tell you that if you look at another person with lust in your eye, you've committed adultery in your heart. God looks at the heart. One more out of the Ten Commandments says, you shall not murder. And you might say, well, hey, I haven't done that one. Really? The Bible says that the sin of hatred is akin to the sin of murder. You, in other words, in your heart, wish they were dead. You pulled the trigger, if you will, in your own heart. And the Bible says God sees that and it's just as bad. He knows the mind. He knows the hearts, the thoughts, and the intents that we have. Folks, that's just five out of the Ten Commandments. How are you doing? Not very well. None of us can keep them. They're God's x-ray to show us that we're disqualified. And so when, not if, your time comes, because we're all marching towards the grave at different speeds, you're going to have to stand before God. And you're going to have to uh, say who you really are. He already knows. Hey, God, let me into heaven. Uh, I'm, I'm a liar. I'm a thief. 
I'm a blasphemer, adulterer, and a murderer. Folks, the Bible is clear. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. That's the problem. Here's the good news. God so loved the world that he sent his one and only begotten son, Jesus Christ, that whoever believes in him, what he did on the cross, on our behalf, that we will not perish, we will not go to hell, but he will give us the gift of eternal life. Jesus died on the cross to forgive us of all of our sins. It's something that we don't earn. We, we, we can't earn. It's a gift, the Bible calls it. And a gift cannot be earned. He was taking the death penalty in our place. That's what the cross was of the day. And that if we would just ask Jesus Christ to forgive us of our sins and believe that in our heart that God raised him from the grave, showing that his death is satisfactory to God to forgive us of all of our sins, no matter what we've done, the Bible says we shall be saved. Uh, the Apostle Paul says that if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the grave, we will be saved. Let me give you a common analogy of what God's doing and what he did for us with Jesus dying on the cross on our behalf. Uh, in life, we know that people uh, can be sentenced for a crime uh, to where they're actually on death row. Uh, the courtroom scene has completely finished. The gavel has already sounded. Uh, they are going to jail and they're just awaiting their time before they go to the death penalty. Uh, as they're sitting there in the jail cell, uh, it, it's a proven fact they did what they did. Everybody knows it. They're just waiting for that time for their uh, number to come up, so to speak, and walk down that hall and be executed. Uh, there's nothing they could do to reverse their crime. No amount of good works in that jail cell can reverse what they've done. It's too late. It's over. But believe it or not, there's one way that people even today can get off a death row. And that's if the one in authority, the governor, if he were to, out of mercy and kindness, nothing that the person did, because they don't earn it and they don't deserve it, and they can't earn it, if he would grant them what's called a pardon, out of the kindness of his heart, he has the authority to grant them a pardon and absolve them completely of their crimes uh, against the state. And did you know that there's actually been people that this has happened to, that the governor, out of mercy, has granted them a pardon as a gift, and they've gone down to the jail cell and handed that person, extended it through the bars, here, I'm granting you a pardon. If you would just receive it, you can go free right now. And did you know that there's actually been people who've said, no, I don't want your pardon. And so what happened is of their own doing, even though they had a way out, they still had to go to the death penalty. Folks, can I tell you something? That's what God did for us with Jesus dying on the cross. He sent his son to take the death penalty in our place. He, God, has the authority to grant us through Jesus a complete pardon. And every day that you're still alive, God is extending to you spiritually this pardon. But a pardon does you no good unless you reach out and receive it by faith. Won't you do that today? Won't you call upon the name of Jesus Christ? Ask him to forgive you of all of your sins, to trust in his work on the cross, to pardon us from all of our crimes, our sins against God. God loves you. He wants a relationship with you. But there's only one way to heaven. It's Jesus. There's only one way to get off a death row. It's through the cross of Jesus Christ. Won't you do that? right now well this has been pastor billy crone of sunrise baptist church and and get a life ministries
And if there's anything that we can do for you, uh, please don't hesitate uh, to contact us. Uh, our number, our information will uh, come up here on the screen shortly. And uh, uh, if there's anything we could do for you, please don't hesitate to let us know. Uh, thank you for uh, joining us. And uh, remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless. Thank you for watching this presentation from Sunrise Baptist Church. If you would like to send us a letter or any other kind of postage, you can reach us at 1780 Betty Lane, Las Vegas, Nevada, 89156. For more information, you can give us a call at 702-452-8599 or email us at bcrone at getalifemedia.com or you can visit our website at www.getalifemedia.com. Billy Crone and this ministry can also be found on Facebook and Twitter. Join us for services at www.sunriselv.com.